podcast, every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Leadership Podcast. I'm Charlie McMahon. I'm glad to have you with me today. I'd love to let you who are listeners of the Leadership Podcast know about what's going on in my brain, in my life, and how I'm trying to maximize the stewardship of the leadership I've been given in in my particular sphere, which for me is the local church and then the Dayton community. Uh, in last session together, last podcast, I began talking to you about my knee surgery, and the first thing, the thing I started reading as I was in the next few days in recovery from that surgery and laid up a little bit, is Kelly McGonigal's latest book, The Joy of Movement. In it, in her classic way of weaving story with research, she tells about the integration of movement into our lives because it reflects a wiring. Our bodies were created by God to be rewarded for persistence and endurance. And we, in regards to movement, when we move to a point beyond that which is easy, which we wanted to quit and we go beyond that, we experience what has been called the runner's high, but is in more accurate terms, a persistence high. Our body rewards us for persisting. And this probably does go back to the era in which our ancestors, I mean, they had to find their food. They couldn't go to, they couldn't go to the Kroger and pick up food. They were rewarded when they stayed in the woods until they shot an arrow through the buck, shot uh, the warthog, shot whatever it was that said, we're going to eat tonight, kids. And, uh, I love that because, I mean, as a, as a person, I just, I love movement. Sherry will tell you that that I'm a mover. You know, once I get going, man, it's, uh, I'm a mover. And I, I love exercise. I love strain. I love that process. Well, last time we talked about the reward of movement. But what I want to talk to you about today is the maximization of that. And that is moving with others is where you multiply the effect of your God-given physiology of movement payoff. In the late 1960s, there was a Brooklyn-based psychiatrist named Frederick Bakeland, and he was trying to recruit exercisers to do a sleep study. And his last experiment has shown that exercise helps people sleep more soundly, which most of us know. He wanted to test whether ceasing exercise would interfere with deep sleep. And all he needed was to find regular exercisers who were willing to stop for 30 days. You exercise regularly, stop doing it for 30 days. The problem was nobody would sign up for the study. Bakeland tried offering more money, significantly more money than he had paid participants in the past. And as he later wrote, quote, many prospective subjects, especially those who exercise daily, asserted that they would not stop exercising for any amount of money. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like an addict. That sounds like an addiction. Why it sounds that way? It's because it is. Uh, the, the payoff from movement and exercise and persistence is very similar 
to an addiction to heroin. Once you get your body craving that echocannabinoid release, your bo- your body says no amount of money is is going to take the place of the hit I get from that. And if you don't exercise, it is the sense of deprivation, the sense of withdrawal that an addict experiences. It leads to a sense of hopelessness. And this phenomenon is known as attention capture, reveals that our brain is always looking for opportunity to indulge in a favored habit. And uh, for example, when self-proclaimed exercise addicts view images of people working out, their brain's craving circuitry fires up in a manner identical to what happens when you show cigarettes to a smoker. Fascinating. And so one 46-year-old long-distance runner told researchers that she ran on a broken ankle for two years rather than take the rest needed to let the bones heal and ask if anything could keep her from running. She said, I suppose I could stop if somebody put shackles on me. That's crazy. There's a part of that that just so appeals to me. Now, here's how to take that in a way that has unbelievable spiritual, relational, physical payoff. If exercise is in a drug... And if exercise most closely resembles an antidepressant, what takes that to the next level? And that is doing it with people. I want to take a moment to affirm to those of you who not only exercise, but you do it at CrossFit. You do it as a part of jazzercise. You do it as a part of a running club, a running group, a cycling group. You do... You do physically rigorous movements in the context of community. Why does that feel so good? It's because not only were you designed to move, you were designed to move and do it in a way that pays off in community. I um, love the part in this book. It's it's I. I, I don't want to sound like I'm on the same level of Kelly McGonigal, but I've been having these thoughts with regards to how do we launch connection in our organization, our church? How do we launch connection, community, care, and cause? And so for those of you who are Southbrookers, you know that we are doing it via an initiative called City Lights. And so my brain is constantly working through what are scenarios of public, social, personal connection and spheres of that connection that maximize the way people are wired so that they do connect, they do get into caring relationships. And so I've been thinking about, for example, what if there there was exercise that was connected to serving? Well, in her book, Kelly McGonigal tells about a running group that would meet, let's say they would meet, in our case, at Centerville High School, and they would gather there, they would then be given their assignments for raking leaves, for cleaning gutters, for painting a porch, for being part of a constructing a ramp for handicap access. And so then they would get their assignments as a club, they would run and do that rake, le- uh, the raking of the leaves, They would do that cleaning of the gutters. So maybe two or three of you go that direction. Two or three of you go another direction. You spend two hours doing that. You run back. 
and then you report and you share the stories of what took place. That is the maximization of movement. Because it's not just the high of running. It's the high of running and achieving and connecting. So if you, for example, as a leader, you know, one of the things that's underestimated about leadership is its sense of failure and I think also its sense of rejection. So we all we experience loss, we experience failure, we experience rejection. These things most people don't see leaders as experiencing as frequently as we know we do. One of the things I underestimated in my life was the toll of rejection. So when you get loss and rejection factored into your life at a at a a pretty significant toll, which if you lead for five minutes, you're going to experience. The, for me, the only way to counteract that is understanding that I have to invest in my personal relationship with God. I have to invest in my personal relationship with Sherry. I have to invest in my personal relationship with my children. I have to invest in my professional relationships and build into those, but I have to invest in my playing relationships because when those are are activated in my life and when they serve a greater cause of building into other people, I experience a high. It's healthy for me. It is the closest thing to an antidepressant that I can experience. Now, I am not saying that if you are on medication and you need medication to help with depressive tendencies, I'm not saying that just being in a running club that rakes leaves is going to solve that. But it is closely connected, and I'll give you an example from my life. So many of you know that my love of tennis has been, for the last 10 years of my life, a major, major blessing. I picked up tennis in 2000, late 2008, really 2009. It was a very difficult period of my life. I was going through intense leadership challenges. I was, uh, we, our family was going through intense challenges. It's been well publicized. Austin in particular at that moment was frankly due to depression and, and had been drawn into drug use. He was nearly dead. And and friends of mine that I was in a recovery group with, Todd McGowan, Scott McGowan, Paul Wilkins, we started taking tennis lessons together, and I was captured. And those guys knew that what happened to me was going to happen uh, inevitably, and that is, man, I fell headlong into tennis. I took lessons three days a week. I developed this deep friendship with my coach, Dan Cronaghi, and, and, and that created a community that combined physical exertion and relational investment. Fast forward to today. I'm now part of a, of a Friday clinic that Dan leads, and there are anywhere from six to ten of us who every Friday <clears throat> are a community of tennis nuts who come together, men and women, and we play tennis. We... we you know, we do about an hour of warm-up, and then we do an hour of clinic. And do you know what the thing I miss about being sidelined with injury? It's that clinic. It's that clinic. We're a community. When one of our members lost his father last month, I saw his father's obituary in the newspaper. And I said, 
I sent a text. I said, Craig, I'm so sorry. I just saw your dad's notice. Sent a text out to everybody in the group. Hey, gang, you may not know, but, but Craig lost his dad a few weeks ago. And that is a huge payoff. I then also, I, I lead a class on Wednesday nights with middle school and high school athletes, tennis players, in which I share with them how to handle pressure, how to build mental toughness. A lot of times I'll do clinic with them and then we do the class. Ask me what my most fun part of my week is. I will tell you that that half an hour on Wednesday nights with the students, that couple of hours on Friday mornings with the clinic community are as fun as as anything I do all week. And you know why? Because God wired me that way. And he did you too. If you want the closest thing to an antidepressant that you can get without an antidepressant, move past your quitting points. And if you really want to maximize that, figure out a way to combine that with being in community with others. And that's one of the best things you can do in your roles as a person, as a partner, as a parent, and as a professional. And that is playing with others. Until next time on Leadership Podcast, this is Charlie Mackin. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week.